0: Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. We have another one of our missionary stories today. We love talking to missionaries. It's always always fun to hear about what people are doing around the world uh, for the church. So today we have Sarah Essela. She is a missionary for Lutheran Bible Translators. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking some time to talk with me today. So, Tell me a little bit about uh, your background and, and what led up to becoming a missionary.
1: Okay. Um, it actually goes back to my junior high days. Sure. Um, my, my sister had gone off to college, and she had gotten the mission bug, I guess, and through her, her influence, She kind of started talking about it with our family and one thing led to another and when i was in well my summer between seventh and eighth grade my parents who worked with high school students um, they were asked to lead a mission trip to india with a bunch of youth and they asked if i wanted to go with them they didn't really have a place to put me during that summer Mm -hmm. and so that they were going to have to get creative and it sounded really interesting. So I took them up on their, their offer.
0: That's wonderful. So this, this started a, quite a long time ago for you.
1: Yes. Yep. And then I think I had such a great experience then it changed my view completely of the world and how big it was mm-hmm. and how much was out there and what Christians were like in other parts of the world that it just, I just planted that seed to want to know more, and I was reading biographies, Christian biographies, and mission speakers came. I wanted to hear them, and so it grew that that interest in mission work beyond, I would say, the borders of the United States. And I really started thinking about possibly serving in an international context.
0: Sure. So then, then you and, and your husband are serving right now in well in Ghana back Mm -hmm. in the States for the moment, but, but your husband, or you have served in Ghana. So then, um, did, did this happen before you were married, after you were married? What's, what's the story
1: with, with that? Well, we, um, both were interested in missions when we went to college. Mm -hmm. My husband had had, I would say a similar experience. He had gone on a trip to Russia right when the You know, communism was falling, and he went and played basketball Mm -hmm. against, like, Russian national teams, and he said they totally were getting demolished by these teams. Mm -hmm. But through that experience, they would get to share their faith, they got to pass out Bibles, and that made a huge impression on him because there was this vacuum in the culture. And he said especially the really old women who had known... Christianity and had had the Bible in the past, they were weeping as they received a new copy of a Bible because they hadn't had one in their possession for so long. Mm-hmm. And that made this impression on him on how precious God's word was um, to people and that there were people in parts of the world that didn't have that, have access to it. Mm-hmm. And so then when we went to college, it's not every day that you meet people that share an interest in missions. Mm-hmm. And I think God just brought us together. He happened to be going on a, a college trip during um, January term to India. Mm-hmm. And I was—I said, oh, I've been to India. And i I believe that was our first conversation. <laughs> and we just talked and talked and talked and found out we were interested in missions. And it just kind of went from there. Sure. So then after
0: college, was mission work an immediate thing for for both of you or or was it more of a, a quote unquote normal family life before before the mission work really started?
1: We really had our eyes set ultimately on doing some sort of mission work, mm-hmm. so he had gotten a degree in communications with a minor in biblical languages. I had done nursing, thinking that was a very practical mm-hmm. way that I could serve yeah and And then it was just trying to find those niches. But we did want some experience in the United States, especially with my nursing. So when you graduate from college, you do a lot of book learning, you get some clinicals, but you don't get the depth that you need. So I got a nursing job to kind of gain that experience. Um, He was thinking um, continuing education in some way. He decided to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. And I think from the very beginning, we were talking with, the seminary about a possibility of, they, they kind of knew we were interested in an international kind of placement. We were also talking with Lutheran Bible translators. We mm-hmm. had met a really good friend, um, David Federwitz at mm-hmm. um, Concordia in Wisconsin, and we had talked to his mom who was mm-hmm. speaking on behalf of Lutheran Bible translators, and she just kind of linked that idea of well, if you really love um, languages and you're good at linguistics and learning languages, why not translate the Bible? Definitely. So we both really valued God's Word and thought, how can you grow your faith without God's Word? How can you mature as a Christian? And that kind of always was there, even as we explored various options.
0: Yeah, and we've had Elvina Federwitz on um uh, okay, in the good. Yeah, and her and the stories are just fascinating that that she can tell from her time. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> she really has the experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's just wonderful talking with her yeah. and 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 with you and, and all of these experiences that that people that don't ever leave this country or or don't have the experience mm-hmm. of of being a missionary um you know you, you have all these unique experiences that are just fascinating to to learn about. So then so, so then you are you're working as a nurse and and your husband Nathan is
1: is doing seminary work. Yeah. Um where did it go from there? Um I think it finally came down to it we were considering different options and in the very kind of in the end we just kept praying about it and praying about mm-hmm. it. Not sure. It, we felt like we had several very good options. And I think as we look at our journey like how do we how did we end up in Ghana in the remote village Um, it was just looking at choices and options and just continually laying them before God and then he seemed to you know open a door or he kind of nudged you in a certain way like no this is really where your passions are and this is a good thing over here but over here you know this is you know, where your gifts are. Mm-hmm. And so we would kind of take that step. And then it kind of brought us to a new place. And doors just kept opening. And And at this time, um, they were willing to consider giving us a call um, through, I think, Mission, the Board for Mission Services to Lutheran Bible Translators. Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit different um, possibility that they hadn't done so much in the past. Mm-hmm. So we felt it was another door opening. And after we graduated and got a call, which at that time we didn't know exactly where we were going, so they just announced to Africa, which (laughs) is gigantic, Um, we had to go on to linguistic school. Mm -hmm. And my husband did a lot more detailed study in the translation work. And then I got very practical skills, like in anthropology and Mm -hmm. how to learn the culture and... Learn some language, especially because you're learning languages that have not been written down. So you can't just, oh, wow. you know, get a French program and listen to audio CDs and see written words. You're really having to actually learn how to get the language from people and figure out what it means. And it's there. We just don't know it. We have to discover it. So um, I, I kind of learned those skills, and after about a year, we we finished up that training and did some support um, raising and then went to Ghana. <laughs> so when, when 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 was that actual trip to Ghana? Um, we left and uh, we moved there in July, I think July of 2003. Oh wow. At that time we had one child, mm-hmm. she was three years old mm-hmm. and we were kind of in a remote setting And we, I just, when I think about what our experience was, I'm like, why in the world (laughs) did I do that? Or why would anybody do it? But it's just like we, there were some other missionaries there that did some orientation for us. But unfortunately, um, this couple, the man got really sick and he could not take us that last leg to Mm -hmm. our village, um, Naswan. And so we like kind of drove up to our house at dusk and we saw our house and like within 30 minutes it was dark and we didn't have electricity in All our right. house and we didn't know anybody or anything <laughs> and it was we i didn't sleep very well that night oh
0: sure those those are the experiences that w- when you're when you're in them it's really uneasy but when you look back on them it's just you know,
1: that's yeah. just what life was like. And somehow you got through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it was good. I mean, I think that that's just the path of like all that unknown. Mm-hmm. And yet God is with us yeah. in all those times. And it's so good to look back and say, oh, he was so faithful then. Yeah. And he was faithful again and again. And to remind ourselves when we're faced with another maybe daunting or, you know, situation.
0: Yeah, it's definitely good to remember those times. So then, what kind of of training did you go through once once you got to Ghana with um, just learning learning the culture when you were there and and meeting people and just kind of learning how to how to live in a, in yeah. such a different culture?
1: Yeah, that's true. So the first year, we decided to really dedicate ourselves to language and culture learning, and. Wow unfortunately um it didn't go very well it was oh, so no. challenging it, it, it's in theory it seems so easy and we had had these classes and it just never seems to work out that way mm-hmm. um, for one thing I was pregnant early on oh. and I had a lot of um, just morning sickness but I happened to get malaria quite <gasps> a few times oh, no. and just that like cycles of sickness and not even we were kind of at that when you're new you go to market and the market, they would have every six days and you would see all this food. And I had no idea how to cook the food or what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have access to a lot of Western food that I could do stuff with. So mm-hmm. I think it's a miracle that we did not starve that first year. <laughs> um, but you know, little bit by little bit, we, we kind of gained what we needed and, and the Lord provided a Mm -hmm. woman who spoke English. This was one of the challenges for me in the village was there was a lot of young men Mm -hmm. that spoke English and my husband could interact with and communicate with. But there was only one woman at that time who spoke English in our village and that I could have conversations with. But she was so gracious and I could ask her questions and she just helped me out enough that I can start, I could start making head headway Mm -hmm. and that it was just such a precious relationship. And so she started helping me find the way and she was able to say, Hey, what you need to try this, or you need to do that. And she would go to market with me and help me start learning what I was seeing and what I could do with different things. So we learned a lot of, um, for me, probably learning how to cook a little bit was a big thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing that sounds really crazy, but I think it's a huge hurdle is we had a person that came to our house to help us like, you know, with a little bit of cleaning and just, I mean, a few things. I'd never had anybody work for me like that before. Mm -hmm. And it was this huge hurdle. Mm -hmm. And then I was trying to homeschool my daughter, you know, when she became four, um, she just she needed something to keep her busy also Mm -hmm. and so she ran around with friends for part of the day and then I was trying to homeschool her and that was all new so it was a lot of hurdles and I think just learning how I we were going to be a family in that culture and what our rhythms were going to be and how are we going to get food on the table and and where were our relationships who could we trust and it It was so much harder, I mean when I think about mm-hmm. it I talk about it, it seems easy, but it it wasn't easy. It was oh, sure. just a day by day um challenge and and then we were also negotiating the project, so in the midst of that, we were starting to set up how will the Bible translation project work there's a lot of um foundation that has to be laid before you can actually get to the work. So all that's kind of going. We're just new people, naive to the culture, naive mm-hmm. to the work. And it's God's goodness. God yes. is through.
0: Yes, definitely. How did how did the villagers welcome you um, and, and help you help you? I know you talked about the the one woman, but were there any other people or any other um, events or anything that, that kind of helped you fit in with the culture a little bit better?
1: Yeah, um the village was great. I think the whole Comba people and the Comba community was outstanding. They were so gracious to us and put up with all our blunders and <laughs> I mean, all the ways I know we insulted them, not <laughs> meaning to, but you know right. you something in your culture and it's offensive in theirs. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like we had to learn not to use our left hand. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't just little things like that. They just were really gracious and forgiving and so a lot of the church leaders are really good at taking us around meeting people they um, gave language helpers to us to kind of sit with us and work with us so we could learn language there was um, they invited us and tried to include us in cultural events so we could learn more mm-hmm. I, I know our, my language helper came to my house one time at four in the morning <sighs> my husband was gonna stay with our daughter and he said, you have to go to a, a Comba funeral. They dance all night long, but it really gets going at about 4 in the morning. Oh so my. he picked me up on his moto. He took me on this bush path to this village and so I could be part of this, you know, event. Mm-hmm. And so I got to go. I got to dance with the women and see what they do and how they how they really celebrate at funerals Mm -hmm. and you can't, you can hear about it and somebody can tell you, but there's nothing like being there. And they took the time and made a way for me to be a part of it. So I feel they went above and beyond to make it work out for us.
0: Sure. So daily life obviously is going to be very, very different in a, in such a different culture. What was it like you know, having to buy food, and you talked about that a little bit, but then also um, transportation. How do you get around? Um, how do you, do you are, there, are there places to shop for other things that you need? What what was daily life like that like for you?
1: Okay, well, we we lived about four hours away from a a nice city where we could buy a lot of things like fruits and lots of fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and canned goods and probably more meat, And everything. So about every six weeks, we would go to that place and we'd stock up. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd even get toilet paper and stuff (laughs) like that. Then we would load up our car. We did have a vehicle and we'd bring it back. And then we'd kind of live off of that. I Mm -hmm. learned a lot of tricks on making, extending the life of my vegetables, Mm -hmm. because that was not very as accessible in the village where I lived. Mm -hmm. And so we would just, plan these trips, which would usually be a couple days, um, see some friends that lived in that town, do our shopping, come back. And then when we were in the village, every six days they had a market day, and we would plan, I mean, the whole village life centered around that. That's when people from neighboring communities would come to town and they would share the news. Um, People would bring, like women would be walking on paths with their headpans Mm -hmm. and motos would have bags of grain and stuff, and they'd all be filled with with stuff that they wanted to trade, to sell, Mm -hmm. um, as well as, they would need to buy stuff and then take it back to their place. But it was mostly like grains. You could get salt, dried fish, um, maybe cans of tomato paste, Mm -hmm. um, flip-flops, cloth. It was very, very basic. Um, And so every six days, I made sure to get to market. And the first year, I didn't really realize that they really have to follow the season there's not refrigeration mm-hmm. and they don't do um they they don't do canning and you know freezing of course so mm-hmm. if something was in market one week it did not guarantee that it would be there the next week or if i was starting to enjoy like mangoes or something they may not be there in mm-hmm. two weeks you know the the season may be gone um or there might be something different so i really started to learn how to just enjoy everything that was there mm-hmm. while I could have it and to try new things and to ask the questions. Sometimes I would just buy stuff so I could go ask someone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I have to know what to do with this. <laughs> and yeah. And then during the day, it we had really, it's funny, we didn't have TV and we didn't have cell phone and email. We didn't have any of that mm-hmm. for most of the time we were there. So it was a quiet, secluded life. <laughs> Um, I, I ended up having more children Mm -hmm. by the time we left about 10 years later, I was pregnant with my fifth child. Mm -hmm. So we, we did a lot of homeschooling. Um, I would do that quite a lot during the day and we had some really nice, sweet rhythms. And then to kind of break up the monotony at night, we started family, family nights. So Friday would be like movie night and Sunday would be game night and we would just do different things to make each night special cuz we we couldn't go places there weren't a lot of people to visit mm-hmm. in the evening and this this just kind of made our days special and helped us bond as a family
0: sure so what what did the kids like to do what were their favorite things in Ghana
1: yeah um Definitely climbing trees, <laughs> of and course, hanging out with their friends that was when we came back to the United States they they were like everybody cuts off the branches of no. the trees we can 't climb trees. So there was a lot of serious, serious tree climbing that 's what they did with their friends. We also would do um, we, I also would go to the market and they would have a lot of used clothing, and I would get tons if I saw like curtains, old curtains or Um, sometimes they had girls' formal dresses and all sorts of odds and ends. I I built up this huge um, trunk of dress-up clothes. So it was really popular for us to take a whole, you know, trunk out. I think there's probably was more than one. They would go out with their friends and they would just all get made up in these elaborate costumes and clothes. And Mm -hmm. they would have so much fun doing that. And then we had another... um, trunk that we just had lots of baby dolls mm-hmm. and we had gotten a lot of like little brown baby dolls so they looked african mm-hmm. and and they would all play they would play dolls and house and cook food they would take little tin cans and make fires and put like a little bit of food in it and they would actually cook over the fire kind mm-hmm. of like we like kids might do with a play kitchen set yeah so those they they loved love, love being with their friends. They would ride bike, they would just roam in the town with their friends at market, helping them sell things. they They were pretty um, native. <laughs> so then, if
0: you you spent um, a long time in Ghana, so then what did you spend holidays there and, and what were those like for you?
1: Yeah, we spent nearly ten years there, and we only were home. Well, we came home right before Christmas, you know, which would have been like our 10th year. But we were there for nine Christmases. And so we we really got to know Christmas well there, which was so different than the United States. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of, we didn't have Advent in our village, and we really missed some of those things. Mm -hmm. But Christmas Eve service, I mean, there's something about being with people that are, Really, their culture and some of their practices and their lifestyle are probably much closer to what Bible culture was like. Mm -hmm. So on Christmas Eve, they would do the service outside Mm -hmm. of the church. They'd bring out all the benches because they didn't have electricity in the church. So they actually had more lighting outside the church under the stars and the moon. Mm -hmm. And so they put benches outside and have this really quiet service. And you would just hear like all of nature and Mm -hmm. you were under the stars and i would think wow this is what it was like to be with the shepherds you know Mm -hmm. this was kind of how it was their quiet night that got you know a surprise with the angels Mm -hmm. and then the next day um the all the christians or all people would make a lot of food and they would go and greet their neighbors with the food they would send food to everybody's house so instead of like we have a big feast where everybody comes to our house Mm -hmm. and they just make a bunch of food at their house and send it to everybody else's house. (laughs) And so eventually our family even did that. And we would send it to everybody in the village, whether it was they were Christians or Muslims, or you know the chief, any of our friends. We sent food to, and then be, then we would have a big service in the afternoon, and everybody was wearing new clothes and um, really proud of that. This was the time of year everybody got a new outfit, mm-hmm. and then. And then we often, in the late afternoon, we would go to um, meet with some other missionaries and then kind of have an american Christmas so you we really enjoyed the Ghanaian things, but there 's that part of you that is just longing for home, especially at the holidays mm-hmm. and that 's just when you miss your family the most because that 's when they get together. so we would go and kind of do more of a traditional traditional meals and really try to support each other in fulfilling our <laughs> christmas wishes sure. whether it's singing a certain carol or you know doing a christmas play or something.
0: Mhm. We have just about a minute left. So there's so, so just so much to talk about with with you. Um with just about a minute left, what what is what is your I don't know advice or, or words of wisdom to somebody who would is thinking about being a missionary. What what do you have to say to the, to, to someone like that?
1: My first thing is don't do it. It's so hard, <laughs> but it, it it is just a gracious. It, it's a good walk of God. God's faithfulness taking care of you, and when you are weak, He is strong. Mm-hmm. And weakness, it, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And just to embrace that because you get to know his strength and his goodness in the midst of that. So sure, start well. now. <laughs> Sarah, it has
0: been just a pleasure talking with you. I could talk with you for like three more hours about all these all these wonderful things. Sarah Estela, missionary with Lutheran Bible translators in Ghana, West Africa. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time.